with me if you would and open your Bibles to Mark chapter 15 this morning if you have any interest at all as we said in that video these are college level courses and uh, there are articulation agreements with many institutions where these courses would also be um, counted toward a degree program as well and uh, so we I will not be teaching them all I am teaching the first one but there will be other uh, instructors in those other courses so love to have you be a part and uh, you can go on the website get the information or you can call Kyle Mark chapter 15 if you by the way have not filled out the assessment that we sent to you several times in several emails you have I think two days left we really would like you to do that your input will be very helpful to us Mark 15 immediately in the morning the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and Scribes and the whole council. When they bound Jesus, they led him away and delivered him to Pilate. Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered and said, It is as you say. And the chief priest accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. And Pilate asked him again, saying, Do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you. But Jesus still answered nothing. So Pilate marveled. At the feast, he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. And there was one named Barabbas who was chained with fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. The multitude, crying aloud, began to ask him to do just as he had always done for them. The Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priest had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd so that, they, that he should rather release Barabbas to them. And Pilate answered and said to them, and notice this, Pilate said, what then do you want me to do with him you, whom you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out, crucify him. And Pilate said to him, why, what an evil has he done? And they cried out all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them. And he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us in a powerful way in these few moments that remain together today? May the word of God come alive to us. I pray, God, for your anointing to rest upon my life, not because I deserve it, but, Lord, because I need it to rightly divide your word. Would you speak through me? May I speak not a single word of my own, but only that which is from you. And may our lives be transformed today by the power of your word as it is wielded by the Holy Spirit into our lives. Do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we ended uh, last Sunday morning, um, and by the way, this is the last of the series, the 21st of this series, the Gospel of Mark. We'll begin Advent next Sunday. But as we ended last week, um, Jesus had been soundly convicted by the chief priest of blasphemy. And they were ready to hand him over then to the Romans who they hoped would execute Jesus. Now, there are a lot of people that are uh, characters in this narrative that were very involved in the crucifixion of Jesus. Obviously, there's Judas, who sold Jesus out. There's Annas and Caiaphas. And then there is Pilate. There's also Herod, we'll talk about in a few moments. All of them tried to exert their influence and their power to make certain that ultimately Jesus was executed and um, was placed on the cross. Humanly speaking, all of these individuals, all of the kings, all of the chief priests, when we think about it from a human perspective, they were all kind of co-conspirators in the death of Jesus. 
But if we really understand scripture, we understand that it was not them at all, but it was the control of God. God had already decreed that the Lamb of God would be slain before the foundation of the world. When Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, he said, you with your wicked hands have crucified him, but it was because of God's divine foreknowledge and God's plan that Jesus was crucified at the cross. Now, Judas actually is the one who rendered the first death sentence on Jesus when he sold him for 30 pieces of silver. That was followed by Annas and by Caiaphas. And ultimately, as I mentioned, Herod played a role, but ultimately Pilate will be the one that will bring down the final decree that Jesus is to be crucified. But again, let me remind you, none of them were really the cause of the death of Jesus, but it was the divine plan, the sovereignty of God sending Jesus to die for us. How many are thankful that he did that, all right? And so in their verdicts, they condemn Jesus, but in their verdicts, they are condemning themselves and all of humanity as well. I want to walk you through the story real quickly, and we're not going to go deep into the weeds today. There's really only two major things that I want to pull out, but I'd like to walk you through a narrative that we're pretty familiar with, but it never hurts to be reminded of what Jesus went through on the cross. So let me, let's, let's talk about that and just move very quickly through the story. But we begin with this final trial of Jesus. The ultimate question is asked by Pilate in verse number 12, what am I supposed to do with Jesus? That's what he asked the Jews. It's the question all of us and all of eternity begs us to answer, what are we going to do with Jesus? Do you understand how you answer that question determines where you spend eternity? How many understand that to be true? If I receive him, I have eternal life in heaven. If I reject him, I spend my eternity in hell. All all of our eternity hinges on that very question. So Jesus, as you know, was arrested at night. He was arrested in Gethsemane. Uh, Judas handed Jesus over for 30 pieces of silver. 600 soldiers arrested Jesus in the middle of the night because they were afraid if anyone found out, a riot might start. So they take Jesus to the high priest's quarters, first to Annas, and then they take him to Caiaphas, and they are looking for some kind of indictment on Jesus. They, they want somehow for them to gather enough evidence that they can suggest that Jesus be executed by the Romans. The Jews even pay some false witnesses to, they bribe them to say things about Jesus. But so interesting, they can't even get two or three of them to be on the same page and agree. And in the mouth of two or three witnesses, he could be convicted. But they couldn't even find two or three to actually have their stories match. So ultimately, they accuse Jesus of blasphemy because he has acknowledged he is the Messiah. And in that acknowledgement, they pinned on him the crime of blasphemy. And in their minds, he is now worthy of death. All of these trials, Annas and Caiaphas and all the Jewish trials, took place between 1 and 3 in the morning on Friday. The trial ends about 3 a.m., And he is then held for the next two hours and he is mocked. From three to five, they beat him, they spit upon him, they blaspheme him. And all of that takes place between three and five a.m. Now, it's interesting and 
most of the time we don't talk about this, but the Jewish law, the Sanhedrin law, said that a trial that would lead to this kind of decree or this kind of indictment had to be taken, had to take place after sunrise. And so after 5 a.m., after they had already decided that he was worthy of death, they then held a mock trial so that they could meet the Sanhedrin law and they could actually recommend to the Romans that Jesus be crucified. So Luke tells us about that in chapter 22. So now they have indicted Jesus. The Jewish part is done because the Jews, listen, they needed the Romans to execute Jesus. The Jews were not allowed to execute anyone because they were subservient to the Romans. They did not have the right to actually carry out execution. Uh, you, you may say, well, wait a minute, was it Stephen Stone? Yes, but that was by a mob. They tried to kill Paul, but that was by a mob. They had no legal right to execute anyone, and so they needed the Romans to do that. And so now that they have decided, they've had their little mock trial after 5 a.m., they bring Jesus to Pilate. Jesus is before Pilate early in the morning. And at this time, as we put the gospel stories together, Judas has felt remorse. He has thrown his money back at the feet of the chief priest and he's gone out and he's hanged himself. And Pilate now is before Jesus. Now from Pilate's vantage point, he's in charge. He thinks he has all the power. And if you read John 19, Pilate keeps saying to Jesus, don't you know that I have power to, to put you to death? Don't you know I have all the power over you? And to, to, to which Jesus says, I love this. You don't have any power except what my father's given to you. Don't, don't get all high and mighty, buddy. That's what Jesus is saying to Pilate. He might not have said buddy, but he's saying don't get all high and mighty because you don't have any power except the power that I have given to you. There's a, a truth that I want to just linger at for just a moment. No earthly power could determine the destiny of Jesus. But every soul's destiny is determined by what they do with Jesus. No human being could control what happened to Jesus. But what you decide about Jesus is what controls your eternal destiny. Make sure that sinks in. And you don't walk out of this room this morning without making sure that you've made the right decision about who Jesus is. Pilate asked them, what charges do you have against him? And the Jews are kind of irritated by that. They didn't really want another trial. They didn't want him to be judged. They wanted him to be executor because they'd already tried him. They had found him guilty. And he says to them, what charges do you have against Jesus? Is he an evildoer of some kind? And they said, just execute him. And so Pilate looks at Jesus and he says, are you the king of the Jews? And he says, it is as you say. And he says, don't you have an answer against all these charges? And he remained quiet. quiet. He asked them again and still he remained quiet. And Pilate, the Bible says, marvel. This man whose life is about to be taken from him sits there calmly and doesn't respond doesn't retaliate. He just simply receives that which is given to him. The whole story of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when you piece all of the narratives together and weave them together, Luke 23 tells us that there was a time in the middle of this whole series of events that he has taken to Herod. Herod, who was the great builder, the one that extended the temple, was not a Jew, but was actually from the lineage of Esau, and he was a vassal king of Rome. He fires questions at Jesus arrogantly. And Jesus doesn't even respond to him at all. 
Finally, Herod in his exasperation said, I'm done with this guy. And he sends him back to Pilate. And that's where we pick up Mark 15. Let me tell you a little bit about Pilate. He's an interesting character. He was the governor of Israel between 26 and 36 AD. He commanded the military and he collected taxes in Rome. He even had to approve the high priest that the Jews had, even though he was a Roman. He was the one that gave final approval to every priest. He had set up some of the idols in the Jewish religious spaces. And so the Jews hated Pilate. Three times he said, I don't find any fault with Jesus. Three times I see no guilt in him. He was a man of justice and wanted him to be handled correctly. And Jesus was no threat to Pilate, but the Jews were a threat to Pilate. It was a political office. You know, Pilate had even taken money out of the Jewish temple treasury to expand the aqueduct system so that they could take water from the pool of Siloam and and send it to the rest of the community. And the Jews hated him for all of the things that they considered to be illegal and extortion and all kinds of misuse of funds. He's failed the Jews now many times. And so he's kind of at a spot here. He knew that if he executed Jesus, he would be going against his own goodwill because he found no fault in him. But if he didn't, he also knew that um, they might revolt and turn on him. So he tried to use a clever little tradition they had at the Passover. He knew that it was his custom at Passover to always release one Jewish prisoner. And he thought, you know what, maybe this would be the time just because they have a little heart of compassion. Maybe we can release Jesus. As a matter of fact, the text says that Pilate thought it was just the chief priest that hated Jesus because they were envious of him because he was drawing crowds. Pilate thought if he really turned it over to the people, the people would probably be on his side. So his plan, knowing that the chief priest had arrested him for evil, he thought he would hand off Jesus to the people. And they'd say, yes, release him. He had huge crowds. They followed him all everywhere. But the Bible says the chief priest had convinced the Jewish crowds to turn on Jesus. And so when he said, how about, I'll give you two choices. We could either let Barabbas, he picked one of the worst ones. He was a rebel who had murdered somebody. I can let Barabbas go. He thought they would all say, oh, no way. Or I can let Jesus go. And to his surprise, they said, release Barabbas. And Pilate had to do a double take. Are you kidding me? You want to let out this guy who was a rebel and murdered people. And you want me to hang on to Jesus. And they screamed again, release Barabbas. What evil has he done? Couldn't find any fault with him. He washed his hands. And he said, what do you want me to do with Jesus? And you know the story. They said, crucify him. Crucify him. So we get to verses 16 through 25. And we look for just a moment at the crucifixion of Jesus. They began by mocking him. They used... um, Jesus as a welcome diversion from all the tension that the Romans did, all the tension that was in Jerusalem because of the Passover. Now they got a Jew they can mock and laugh at while they're kind of on guard for all of what these Jews might do in town. They made fun of him. They showed no restraint. They tore his robe. They put the crown of thorns on his head. They bowed before him. They mocked him. He'd already been beaten. And so they put his clothes back on him and they handed him off to the execution squad and he made his way now to Golgotha with his cross. The route to Golgotha was through the busy streets now lined by all kinds of 
pilgrims who had come from the Passover. It would be exploding with people at this time. And usually one who was going to be executed would have to carry his own cross. And so Jesus begins to carry the cross. But finally the Roman soldiers cry out to Simon of Cyrene who is in the crowd. One of the onlookers. And they say, you come here, carry his cross. By the way, Simon had two sons, Rufus and Alexander. You can read about them in Romans 16. It's likely that these are the sons of Simon. Now Paul calls out to because they're part of the church. That's the effect that this day had on them. Jesus was then freed from carrying his own cross. They make their way to Golgotha where there are women. It was a Jewish tradition at the place where they would execute. There would be women there who would offer Jewish women who would offer a mix of wine and vinegar that would dull the pain. They would give it to those who were going to be executed. And Jesus turned it down. He was going to take the brunt of the pain on the cross. Nothing was going to mitigate that pain for him. Can I just pause for a moment once again? How many are thankful that Jesus took that for us? Aren't you glad for that? He said, no, I'm not going to take that. And so he went on. Mark, who wrote primarily to Gentiles and primarily to Romans. They knew what the execution process was, so he didn't give all the details, but let me tell you what they were. Once they got to the hill, they would strip Jesus. They would beat him one more time. His arms would be nailed to the cross beam that he had carried, and then Simon had carried the rest of the way, and then after his hands nailed to that, that cross piece would be lifted up and fastened to a beam that was already in place in the ground block of wood his feet would be then nailed to that and a block of wood would be placed just under that about midway up on the cross so his feet could support the rest of his body normally that cross beam would not be very high unless they were trying to get him elevated so that lots of people could see he would be crucified that day naked most who were being crucified would die of exhaustion because the, the, the weight of the pain and they could no longer push themselves up to take a breath. But if they could not die quickly, they would break their legs and go ahead and expedite the death. But with Jesus, that wasn't necessary. He died quickly. They gambled for his belongings at the foot of the cross as Jesus hung on Calvary. Very quickly, let me take a look at the actual death of Jesus. They berated him as he hung on the cross. Listen to what Mark describes. He said that they put this inscription above his head, King of the Jews. The two robbers on either side were also reviling him so that scripture could be fulfilled. He was numbered with the transgressors. Everybody that passed by blasphemed him. They wagged their heads at him and said, Hey, you who destroyed the temple and said you would build it in three days. Why don't you save yourself now? Chief priest mocked him and said he could save others, but he couldn't save himself. Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. Darkness then covered the face of the earth, a symbol of divine judgment. It was the sixth hour that had come and darkness was over the whole land until the ninth hour. Darkness in Israel, Israel's history almost always spoke of divine judgment. Israel was being judged for their rejection of their king. But listen to me, not only was Israel being judged, but sin was being judged in the person of Jesus. He who knew no sin had become sin and God was judging the sin of humanity. That's yours. That's mine. He was judging that sin on the cross. Colin Gunton said, we have to say, 
that Jesus is our substitute because he does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. That includes undergoing the judgment of God because were we to undergo it without him, it would mean our destruction. Moreover, the center of the doctrine of atonement is that Christ is not only our substitute, which means instead of, but that by that substitution, he frees us to be ourselves. Substitution is grace. It goes. He goes as a man where we can't go. The judgment of God. Under the judgment. And so he becomes perfected into the presence of God. But it is grace because he does so as God and our representative. So that he enables us to go there after him. Listen, look right here for just a moment. His substitutionary death means that he took what we could not take. The judgment of God. So that we go can go where we could never go. Into the presence of God. How many are grateful for that? Are, let's, are, are you not grateful for that? He took what we could not take. And went where we could not go so that we would not have to take that. And so we could go where we never thought we could go before. And on the cross, there was this amazing abandonment. It was at the ninth hour. And he cried out with a loud voice. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabatani. Just translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He breathed his last, the end of this text, and the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Throughout the life of Jesus, he had known profound intimacy with the Father. That intimacy was enjoyed in eternity past when he walked on the earth. I and my father are one. He would go into the mountain. He would speak to the father. The father would speak to him. They had this incredible intimacy. But listen to me. In that moment, for you and me, he experienced complete abandonment from the father. He had been rejected by the Jews as a blasphemer. He was being executed by the Romans as a rebel. But now he is abandoned by his father. As sin. But his abandonment opened the way for us to go into the holiest place and know Jesus. As he dies on the cross, there is a proclamation of Jesus. How interesting is this? Look at what happens. The centurion who stood opposite the cross saw him crying out like this and breathing his last. And the centurion said, truly, this is the son of God. The first human to declare the crucified Christ as the son of God was a Gentile centurion. And he declares what is necessary. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The centurion represents the first fruits of a great harvest that would follow afterwards. This declaration was made at a cross, which was to the Greeks foolishness and a stumbling block to the Jews. But Paul says to us, it is the power of God. Because only in the cross can the truth about Jesus be revealed. And only in the cross can the truth about God be found. So what is the message of the crucified Jesus? The cross, listen, was the ugly, I want you to get this, the cross portrayed the ugliest portrait of humanity. Can't get any uglier than that. Greed, hate, selfishness, lust, sin, evil was all there at the cross. Extreme hatred, the ugliest portrait of humanity, but the cross also portrayed the best of God. 
the ugliest of humanity, but the best of God. For in the cross, three things. Number one, while the cross doesn't give us all the answers, it does reveal a God who is with us in our suffering. Listen, when you suffer, everybody look right here for just a moment. When you suffer, there is someone who is touched with the feeling of your infirmities that has suffered as well, that stands with you, that doesn't leave you or forsake you, knows exactly what you are experiencing. Secondly, while the cross reveals the darkness of humanity, it reveals a God who is with us in our loneliness. He doesn't forsake us. And number three, while the incarnation is God with us in Christ, the crucifixion is Christ with us in God. The veil is rent and we go to, can go to him into the very presence of God as our high priest. Let me move to the final movement of this message, and that's the power of the risen Christ. So after his death, they buried him. You know the text. Let's look at it very quickly. Mark 15, there was also women that had been with him and ministered to him in Galilee. When evening had come, because it was the preparation day, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a prominent council member and himself was looking or waiting for the kingdom of God, he went to Pilate and he asked with courage, if he could have the body of Jesus. Pilate said, is he dead already? He couldn't believe it. He sent him out to check and he was dead already. And so when he found that out, he granted the body of Jesus to Joseph. Joseph took fine linen, took him down off the cross, wrapped him in the linen, laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of rock. And Joseph rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. And the ladies observed where he was laid. So then the next day was the Sabbath and they could do nothing. But then on the first day of the week, the resurrection occurs. When the Sabbath is passed, the ladies show up at the tomb again. They had bought spices. Remember, they didn't need these spices because the woman who had anointed Jesus had already prepared him for burial. It's a good thing because he's already out of the tomb. Isn't that awesome? Will you just think about that? She anointed him for burial because... They, they weren't going to get to. He's already gone by the time they get there. So they go early in the morning. And, and they said, who's going to roll this stone away? It's heavy. It was very large. Notice what happens when they get there. Go ahead and flip that next screen. Uh, they entered the tomb and they saw a young man who's clothed in this long white robe. He's sitting on the right side. He tells them, don't be alarmed. You're seeking Jesus of Nazareth. He's not here. You're, you're looking in the wrong place. He's risen. He's not here. See where they laid him. Go tell his disciples. I love this. Tell his disciples and the big flop failure Peter. Make sure he knows too. How many are glad he still loves us even though we're a big flop failure Peter. All right. Go tell them that he's going before you into Galilee. He's going to see you just as he said. So they went out quickly. They fled from the tomb. They trembled. They were amazed. Look at that. They trembled. They said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Let me just talk to you real quickly. You know what dominated in this story? Fear. Fear was prominent since the arrest in the garden. They're all hiding away. They're cowering. They all fled. They hid because their hopes had been dashed. They had placed everything in this Jesus. And now he's dead. The emotional distress that waited on them, the hopelessness, everything they had dreamed had been stripped away from them. And even after they get news of the resurrection, they're still trembling. They're still afraid. There are people in this room this morning, paralyzed by fear. 
failed. I can never be used to God. What if I get caught? What if people find out what I did? What if they know who I really was? What if they know that I struggle still today? And they're stunned and they're paralyzed just like these disciples were by fear. was the case with the women and the disciples. But thank God the resurrection, when they really understood it, would change all of that. Look at these words of the Apostle Paul. Romans chapter 1. I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I'm called to be apostle. I'm separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son Jesus, who was born of the seed of David, according to flesh. And look at this. Look at this next phrase. And declared. Look at that word declared. Declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit. How? How was he declared? By the resurrection from the dead. Let me explain this. The word declared. It's a Greek word, horizo. If you were to transliterate it and spell it out, it would look like this. H-O-R-I-Z-O. Horizo. It's where we get the word what? Horizon. It means the limits. It means the boundaries. It means as far as I can see and as far as I can go. The limits of the disciples and the women, listen, look right here, was the cross. He's dead. He's gone. We saw him one last time. We saw him put in the tomb. Our hopes are dashed. Our dreams are gone. Paralyzed by fear. Because that's as far as we can see. But then, the resurrection really did change it all. Because now it's not just hearsay. The day that he arose, he showed up to Mary Magdalene. Whom he had cast seven demons out of. And then he appeared to another, in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told the rest. Flip the screen. Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table. Now they've seen him. He really is alive. And he says to them, I want you to go and preach the gospel to every creature. I want you to baptize them. These signs will follow. My name, you're going to cast out demons. You're going to lay hands on the sick. If you drink any deadly poison, you will speak in new tongues. If you drink any deadly poison, it won't harm you. The resurrection changed it all. Look right here for just a moment. From hiding... And cowering and paralyzed by fear, these guys started boldly proclaiming the name of Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, Peter the flop failure. Remember, that's a good theological phrase. Get that. Peter the flop failure on the day of Pentecost preaches and 3,000 people are saved. Read the book of Acts. They turn the world upside down. They go into synagogues and they preach Jesus. They get thrown in prison and they get told not to say another word. And they come out and the first thing they do is say another word. Because they've been changed. They don't say, God, get us out of all this trouble. God, just give us more boldness to preach even harder. And God, stretch out your hand and heal the sick. And show the mighty name of Jesus as wonderful. From living in defeat and regret, they preached and people were changed. The resurrection, look, it declared the Son of God. It lifted the horizon. We used to sing, death cannot hold its prey. 
Jesus, my Savior, he, I love this, he tore the bars away. Jesus, my Lord, up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. How many are thankful for the resurrection this morning? You see what the resurrection does? Listen, the resurrection, is, it, it declares, it horizons, it horizons, it lifts our horizon. It helps us to see beyond where we could have ever seen before. Pastor Clayton, if you'd come, I'd like for you all to stand with me if you would. Those that are going to be baptized, you can make your way out. I'd like for the rest of you just to step forward, get as close to the platform as you can, please. Just move up to the front. We're going to pray together. Would everybody just step up to the front? I'm going to give you a second because I want to, I want to talk to you for just a second. this question, what is your horizon today? What is it in your life, listen to me closely, what is it in your life that says this far and no more? I I, I can't go beyond that. Is it your fears? Is it your failures? Anybody, anybody ever failed? Raise your hand if you've ever failed, all right? So is it your fears? Is it your failure? Is it your sin of the past? Is it your struggle today? What, what is, where are your horizons? What, what stops you to be able to see? I can't. I'm not worthy. I'm not capable. I'm not qualified. Can I encourage you? The resurrection of Jesus changes that. Changed it for Peter. Changes it for you. Changes it for lifts our horizons, declared to be Marizo, Son of God, from the resurrection of the dead. The series began asking, who is this man? And even the winds and the waves obey him. Isn't this an interesting thing? In the very opening of Mark, he tells the storm it can't go any further. That's the limit. Stop. And it had to stop. Jeremiah said that. You read it in Proverbs. That the storm, the water, the ocean cannot trespass the command of God. He sets the limits. But with his resurrection, he moved the limits for us. He stretched them for us. And says, you can go further than you ever dreamed from the dead. We are, the Bible says Jesus was buried. He was crucified for our offenses, but he was raised for our justification to give us new hope. Bow your heads with me if you would. Um, Father, speak to our hearts right now. Raise our horizons, lift them for us so that we can believe you for things that maybe we thought we could never see happen in our lives. Help us to know that the resurrection lifts those horizons and gives us new hope. Heads bowed for just a moment. Nobody looking around. 
Maybe you're here today and you've never invited Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. Maybe you're not a believer today. You're not serving God and you know that if your life was taken from you today, you would not be ready to meet him. So I'm just asking you the question, what are you going to do with Jesus? Receive him or reject him? You're here today and you've never received him, but you say, Pastor Kevin, I want to receive Jesus today. Would you slip up a hand? Is there anybody in this place that would just raise a hand and say, I want to receive Jesus. I want to receive him this morning. Anyone in this room? Let me, let me ask you a second question then. How many with your head still bowed would say, I am a believer, but I have felt like I couldn't go any further. I couldn't accomplish any more. God couldn't use me. But today, I really believe because of the resurrection of Jesus, my horizons are lifted, and I want to be everything he's ever called me to be and do anything he's ever called me to do. How many would raise your hand with me and say, that's me this morning. Let's sing this chorus and just worship him and thank